we've uh, uh, had a great series thus far uh, with the series Essentials, and we continue it this morning uh, after um, taking uh, some time off last week uh, to honor moms, and uh, that was awesome as well. And if you were here and uh, you might ever be a mom and you didn't get uh, the devotional, or, or if you're not a mom, our devotional, that we, uh, the, the gift we gave out was uh, about women of God. So you really don't have to be a mom, and we had plenty of those. So if you'd like one of those, uh, please uh, feel free to either mention it to Pat or Mary Beth or, uh, or just drop by the office. We'd be happy to give you one. So we've covered a lot of ground so far in Essentials, and this has been a foundational series for us, kind of uh, a journey in our journey together with myself as your pastor and, and you as the, the flock that God has called me to shepherd. We've been looking at the Word of God and what God's Word has to say about the life that is offered to us in Jesus, a life of, of thriving and purpose and joy and fulfillment, a life that despite uh, the differences in our backgrounds, our ages, our education, our experiences is not only available to us, but what we discover in Scripture is that there's a compassionate longing and an abundant provision that God has given to make this life possible to you and I. In fact, uh, it's more than just a hope. Uh, scriptures talk about it in such a way as that it's a calling on our lives. Uh, it's an expectation that God has for us that you and I rise above the life that we can have on our own through our relationship with Jesus Christ, and we would experience what Jesus calls as abundant living. And what we've said during this series is that there is a corresponding link between the life that God is offering you as an individual Christ follower and the making of a healthy church. There's a corollary. So the more, and the more uh, each one of us learns how to walk in the secret of the easy yoke, if you were here with us that Sunday, and we, we learn how to walk daily with Jesus and discover the life that he means for us individually, the more that as a church, when we come together, we will become the community of faith that he intends us to be. Now, the challenge that exists for each and every one of us is coming to trust God enough that we will uh, believe that what he has for us is not only better than the life we can have on our own, but it's actually the best life that's possible for you and I. The best church that we're capable of being is the church that is given wholly over to what it is that God intends us to be together. Now, too many of us are suspicious that God actually wants for us the very best. Too many of us are suspicious that, that God is actually asking us to give up things that we don't want to give up, that he's asking us to do things that we, we don't actually want to do. And to the degree that we are still suspicious that we need to hold some of the reins or control or maybe sit on the seat of our own heart uh, because we mistrust God, it's because we fail to understand both who God is and what God is doing. C.S. Lewis, in his book, The Weight of Glory, captures our challenge uh, accurately. He wrote, It would seem that our Lord finds our desires to be not to be too strong, but to be too weak. We are half-hearted creatures, fooling about with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered to us. Like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at sea. We are far too easily pleased. Herein lies our challenge. 
So the question we ask this morning as we continue our series is, what is it that God wants for His people? In John chapter 15, verses 14 through 16, uh, Jesus spoke these words to His disciples. You are my friends if you do what I command. I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I have called you friends for everything I have learned from my Father I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you so that you might go and bear fruit that will last. And so whatever you ask in my name, in the name of the, in my name, the Father will give you. So today we're considering yet another essential component to both abundant life and a healthy church, and it's this idea of ministry or serving one another. Let me begin by defining the concept. Uh, Ministry is defined as a person or a thing through which something is accomplished, agency, instrumentality. In, In Scripture, it means to serve, and this is what God wants for us. It's part of abundant living. Now, the misunderstanding about who God is and what God is doing is complicated by our Western mentality. Uh, we, we acknowledge the need for the service culture. Most of us may have started out during college in the service culture. But by and large, we tend to view other people as a means to serve ourselves. It's a struggle we Americans have. We come slowly to the idea that we should humble ourselves and that there's some value in serving other people. And yet, herein lies the secret, at least in part, of what God intends for us. Remember Jesus' words as we move forward. I've called you friends, not servants. But I want to explain what he means there. I've informed you about what God is doing. If you are my friends, then you do what I say, you obey I've appointed you, and what he's appointed us to is to be fruitful, to discover a life that not only makes a difference, but also is is full and built back up. And for some of us, that simply just means answering the call to get out of ourselves and to serve other people. So let me start by talking about who God is, to try to clear up any misunderstanding about who he is. Ministry is identity for the God of Scripture. It is who he is. Uh, We find it first in God the Father. At creation, as God is creating, he's creating all these things, and after every act, he says it's good. You know what he's doing with all those things he makes that are good? He's preparing to give them to the man that he creates and the woman, and that he invests all of creation to us to multiply and replenish and to enjoy, and we're good at doing that in a beautiful place like this. In fact, we're easily entertained by the world that God has made. But we need to remember that God the Father is ministering to us when He makes the world for us. That's not long after that creation that the fall happens and we become marked, marred by sin. And yet even then, God does not lose sight of this idea of being a minister, of, of being a servant. Because when He could have punished us, when He could have just done away with us, instead He enacts a long-range plan whereby He will redeem us from our sin. And in so doing, age after age, He is serving us, being patient with us. Ultimately, Scripture tells us that one day, God is going to consummate all things under His rightful rule and reign. And in doing this, He's serving us to bring us to His greatest good. 
People often ask the question, if God is so good, why, do, why does he allow evil to happen? Well, the answer to the question is, if he were to deal with evil now, it would mean he would have to deal with me, and he would have to deal with you. But Scripture says he's patient, not wanting any to perish, but all to come to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ, so that when everything is consummated, he has ministered to us, serving us in such a way that we are part of his goodness. James 1.17 says, Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. So, so many people think that God is just looking for people to serve his whims, as though he's a, a dictator. When the truth is, the reverse is true. God the Father has been serving us since eternity past to bring us to his great good. Second, ministry flows out of the person and work of Jesus Christ. Jesus' life serves as the greatest example of what it means to be a minister. Luke chapter 4, Jesus says when he stands in the temple, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of the sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Jesus is the greatest example of what it means for God to serve us. His ministry is given, he says of himself, I did not come to be served, but to serve and to give my life a ransom for many. So long before you you even entered the world, God the Father, through the Son, Jesus Christ, was serving you, giving himself to you so that you might be forgiven and be adopted back into God's family. And we find in Jesus what it means to live an authentic life. A selfless life. A life that not only accomplishes great, because I dare you to come up with one other person who's accomplished more in history than the life of Jesus Christ. And yet in doing that, he's in humbling himself, he also affected so many of us here today and countless thousands who've gone before us and many who will come tomorrow and the day after. On Easter Sunday here, eight people were served by Jesus Christ and what he did upon the cross. Philippians chapter 2, the Apostle Paul writes, Let the mind of Christ be yours. Though he was in the form of God, he did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. Do you understand that? Though he is God, he didn't feel like he had to hold on to that, like something was being taken away from him, but he willingly gave it up and emptied himself by taking on the form of the servant. And he humbled himself even unto death, even the death on a cross. We look at that passage and... and Scholars will write about uh, the Apostle Paul's words here that that we think that God was acting out of character when Jesus did this. But what, uh, what one commentary writes is that when we see what Jesus is doing in the words of Paul in Philippians 2, we're actually seeing who God is, really. He's a servant. It's why He made us in the first place. It's why He longs to redeem us from our sin. He's serving us. And then third, to clear up the misconception about God, ministry is fueled by the Holy Spirit, the third person of the Trinity. Whenever in Scripture we find God at work in the world, it is the Spirit who is getting it done. In Genesis chapter 1, verse 2, Scripture says, Earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the water, waiting for the Father to speak Christ, the Word, and then the Spirit put it into action. Isaiah chapter 32 describes man's habitation as harsh, forsaken and deserted. Then in verse 15, these words begin, until the Spirit is poured upon us from on high, 
And when that happens, the wilderness becomes a fruitful field. And the fruitful field is deemed a force. Then justice will dwell in the wilderness and righteousness abide in the fruitful field. The effect of righteousness will be peace. The, the result of righteousness will be quietness and trust forever. Whenever we see God at work in our world, it's the Holy Spirit who's getting it done. Second, whenever we find God at work in and through the life of another person, it is the Spirit who's working from the inside out. Jesus said, said of Jesus in Luke chapter 4, verse 1, Jesus, being full of the Holy Spirit, was led by the Spirit. You see, the reason why Jesus can identify with us in, in every way is because he was not living in his godness. He was fully God and fully man, and yet he restricted the use of his deity. He was led of the Spirit, even as you and I are invited to be. So Luke chapter 4, verse 18, Jesus says, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me. He has anointed me. The Old Testament prophet Joel chapter 2 writes these words, You shall know that I am in the midst of Israel, and that I am the Lord your God, and there is none else. And my people shall never again be put to shame, and it shall come to pass afterward that I will pour out my Spirit on all flesh. This is a prophecy about what happens in Acts 2 on the day of Pentecost when the Spirit of God falls upon those who were following Jesus Christ. It had a dramatic impact on God's people and it's God leading us somewhere because ministry is identity for the God of Scripture. It's who He is. God has revealed Himself to us in in this revelation of Scripture. He has shown Himself to be a servant the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. God is a minister who has given Himself in love for our greater good. And you remember, yeah, but Jesus said, I call you friends and no longer servants. So Jesus obviously doesn't want anything from me. He just wants to be my buddy. But friends, this overlooks not only how important other people sitting beside you are to God, but it underestimates exactly what it is that God is doing in this lifetime. So that leads me to two implications for us, an individual one and one regarding the church. The first, or or the second point in the message, is this. You were created to be a servant like God. You were created to be a servant like God. As God's image bearers, we are created to reflect God's glory to the world. That means... That in this world, who God is and what God is doing is intended to flow through us. And if ministry is the identity of God, then as God's image bearers, we were meant to serve other people. Now sin, when it entered the world, and you and I were born into it, sin defaces the image of God in us, but it does not erase it. And so what Jesus is doing for us in the cross is restoring the image-bearing part of us that's intended to reflect who God is to the world. So in Jesus Christ, we are are recreated new in Jesus, and we are called to follow his example. This calling understood uh, is, is to be understood as a way of living. We are called to follow Jesus and to do what Jesus did. That's the calling upon your life. You've been recreated in him to do so. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 through 10 says, For by grace are you saved through faith, and that faith is not of yourselves. It's a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. And then verse 10 says, For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, 
which God has prepared for us in advance. God's workmanship. God has ministered to us to make us what we were meant to be. For some of you who don't know Christ yet, this is yet before you. That God wants to restore to you who you were intended to be in His sight. And then He creates us for good works. The question is, what are those good works? Well, in a word, it's ministry. Now, in the upper room, uh, you are my friends and not only and not my servants uh, is not the only thing Jesus said in the upper room. In fact, if you remember the upper room, which we celebrated not too many weeks ago, Jesus at some point got up from the table and he disrobed and he took a servant's towel and he began to wash the disciples' feet. Eric, you want to help me? Now, many have believed that in doing this, Jesus was enacting uh, another, ordina- another ordinance like communion or baptism. But think, if you will, about the picture. Because the Son of God, the second person of the Trinity, who many of us think is just trying to get something out of us, models for us something beautiful. It's some position and place that we're called to be. And so Jesus takes water and a basin And with some reluctance from Peter, he begins to wash the disciples' feet. And in doing so, he gives them an example of what it means to serve him. There's something very important about this. I I don't believe that Jesus was enacting a new rite. I don't think he was asking us to do this. This was an agrarian culture. People wore sandals. Eric's the one guy I could count on to be wearing sandals today. And in that day, it was customary when someone entered your home that you would wash the dust off of their feet. There should have been a servant to do that, by the way, but there wasn't. And so our Savior took the towel, took the basin, and demonstrated how desperately we needed Him to do for us what we could not do for ourselves. Not the washing of our feet, but the cleansing of our souls. But in this picture, we learn something very important about who God is and about what God is doing in the world. You see, to humble myself before my brother and to wash his feet is to remind him of the great dignity and love that God feels for him. There's not a person in this room that doesn't need to know that not only has Jesus Christ humbled himself to something like washing your feet, but this doesn't even scratch the surface. It doesn't even begin to tell you what God has done for you and I. And at the same time, When I'm in this position, I'm reminded not only of what my Savior did for me, but that I'm unworthy of what He did for me. And yet I'm humbled and graced to be able to do for others. And in serving others, not necessarily washing their feet, but ministry, in serving others, I become a conduit of the love of God for another person, in this case, my brother Eric. This is what ministry is all about never forgetting what God has done for me, that He's humbled Himself for a wretch like me, that I might be forgiven and redeemed, that I might discover great purpose that my life did not know before, and that in so doing, I should become a conduit of such great love for other people around me, the people sitting by you. This is what Jesus has taught us. John chapter 13. Thanks, brother. I love you. 
By the way, I set this up with Eric, just in case some of you were scared that this might happen to you someday. When I asked him, he asked if we could go ahead for the full pedicure. I told him that wasn't going to happen. But we did cure handshaking with me after the service is over. Nobody will want to shake my hand today, Eric. Jesus said, if I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet, to serve one another. For I have given you an example that you also should do as I have done to you. Please hear this. Truly, truly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. And this is a very sober warning. I am not speaking of all of you. I know whom I have chosen. For those of us whom God has chosen, He has called us in the Spirit of Christ to ministry. This is what we were made for. Second, we are uniquely endowed uh, and empowered to serve by the Holy Spirit. Not only has Christ set an example for us, but then He's given us this dunamis, the, the dynamite of the Christian life. He's placed His Spirit within us, and it is the Spirit working within us that enables us to rise above just good deeds and actually do ministry. Because it's entirely possible for you to do something for other people, but do it from the wrong motive. But when we are partnered with the Holy Spirit using the gift that He has given us, then there's this exponential uh, return on that ministry. It's it's in that kind of ministry, spirit-gifted and spirit-driven ministry, that the love of God flows through us and something happens significantly beyond what we're able to do on our own. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 1 through 7 and then verse 11 says, Now about the gifts of the Spirit, brothers and sisters, I do not want you to be uninformed. You know that when you were pagans, somehow or other, you were influenced and led astray to mute idols. Therefore, I want you to know that no one who is speaking by the Spirit of God says, Jesus is be cursed. And no one can say, Jesus is Lord, except by the Holy Spirit. You understand that? It's that question that Jesus asked the disciples, whom do you say that I am? And Peter said, thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus' response to him is, you didn't come up with that on your own. If you call Jesus your Savior and Lord, it's, a, it's an affirmation that the Spirit of God has taken residence in you. That's what enables you to acknowledge Him. And it is the Holy Spirit then who wants to indwell you and endow you with this gift and lead you in ministry to other people. And I don't know how significant, I don't know what your ministry looks like, I just know that you're called to minister. And as you follow the Holy Spirit, you will discover it. Verse 11 of this passage says, All these are the work of one and the same Spirit. And he who distributes these gifts to each one, just as he determines. Now to the person served, to my brother Eric, we have never done greater for another person than when we're serving them, uh, we extend to them the esteem, the love, and the dignity that God feels for them. And there is no person that you lock eyes with Monday through Saturday who does not matter immensely to God. And perhaps all they need is just the smallest ministry, the smallest service that helps them to understand their worth. Just this morning, I saw a young man on Facebook that 
I can't even remember how I became connected with him. He asked the question, do I matter? Such despair in a Facebook post. And I responded to him and I said, the answers are here. The answers are here. And what what needs to happen is that we would apply ourselves or that we would minister these words to other people such that at some point the truth of what God feels about us sinks 13 inches into our heart and we stop trusting how we feel because how you feel is really fleeting and untrustworthy. But how God feels about you, which is something that comes to us through ministry, is real. For the servant, we are never nearer to God. Please hear this. We are never nearer to God than when we imitate, um, I'm sorry, we are never nearer to God in intimate fellowship than when we are following the Holy Spirit and using our God-given gift to serve other people. You know when, as His image bearer, you look most like Him? It's right here. When you're serving other people. And if all you ever do in life is find yourself on the receiving end, then you don't look like the God who created you, who loved you, who intends you to reflect His image. And that leads to the second implication. The church attains her redemptive best as everyone serves. The bottom line is that the normal expression of a healthy church Uh, is the unrestricted involvement of all believers in some sort of ministry. This is what it means to do life in the community. It's to find how God means to use me to impact you and how God intends to use you to impact me. It's reciprocal. And as you and I are walking with Christ and discovering the abundant life, we will pour ourselves into the making of a healthy church. 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 10 says, Each of you should use whatever gift you have received to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace in all of its various forms. So as Community Church in Gunnison, Colorado pursues God's uh, intent for us, we will become together all that God intended us to be. And it will not just be us because the nature of God's identity as ministry is to spread to impact other people. And as we do, Ephesians chapter 4, verses 11 through 16, describes how this process will work. But I drop down to verse 16, where it says, "For From Him the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, like we all have a job to do, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. The abundant life is only found in a personal relationship with God through Jesus Christ. Please hear me this morning. It's not church attendance. It's not having it all together. It's not offsetting good deeds with your bad ones. There's only one way to the abundant life. It's through a personal relationship with God through Jesus Christ. And it is there in that relationship where a life can be discovered. A life uh, is discovered where We're uniquely created for ministry to look like God, to do like God. There we will find the joy of pouring ourselves out in service to one other person or a small group or some children who need to grow up in the love of the Lord or some ministry that God gives you 
in the community. So for the spiritual seeker today, person who doesn't know Christ, can I just encourage you to let Christ meet your deepest need the way he has for me, the way he has for so many people here this morning. For the believer who's still reluctant to trust that maybe God has, he's trying to pull one over on me. Can I just encourage you that God has not called you to him to follow him in order that you might not be a servant. He's called you to be his friend and to be like him, to live a life of serving, to meeting needs, to giving yourself away, proclaiming the good news, and, and esteeming other people for who they are as his image bearers. You say, yeah, but I don't feel qualified. I don't feel called. Well, Scripture says you are. And we can trust that where God leads, He provides. If God is leading you to something, then He will equip you to do that. After all, ministry is really just an act of love done for another in the name of Jesus Christ. We're all capable of that. If you don't have a place to serve, it can always start small. When we were church planting, we were always setting up every weekend, and I would just tell people, hey, if you don't know what your spiritual gift is, just start stacking chairs. You know, it's a good place to start. The Bible doesn't mention stacking chairs as a spiritual gift, but it's a way to get involved. Uh, Try something. Find an area to serve other people in some way. And if it feels like you're sucking on a lemon, that's probably not your spiritual gift. Move on. Find another place to serve. In your program this morning, uh, you'll see that uh, our ministry staff put together a list of areas where we could use people to be involved. Now, some of these are, are solo spots. Some of these, we just need one person doing these things. But there's a host of areas where we need people uh, in scores. We need lots of people to help share the burden. So I want to ask you to take this out right quick. <clears throat> and I just want to highlight a number of them. On the weekend... One of the things that we want to see happen is we want to have a first impressions team. Uh, Leonard kind of manages all this by himself, uh, but we'd like to bring some, some structure to it. So we'd like to have some people who are thinking about what people feel like when they walk in here as guests so that they get a smile and they, they get a handshake or they get information that they need. We, we just need people on a first impressions team, and these need to be different people than people who serve on an ushery offering team, different people who, who serve on security we have a security team. All the guys are signing up for that this morning. We, we're not checking out AR-15s or anything, y'all. This next year, we're going we're gonna to try to do a better job of ministry to seniors. You drop several down. We want to we identify seniors in our church who have needs. And we want to provide, uh, we want to make a, a caregiving list. And then we want to motivate some men who are capable to take care of widows in our church. Next Christmas, I want to have a, a special Christmas brunch for seniors, for, especially for widows, just to remind them at a difficult time that they're loved by their church family. There's ministry there. We need uh, life group leaders, a lot of people who are really not connected outside of this setting right here. And I can tell you, I know that this is what God's about because several weeks ago when we talked about doing life together, we had 13 people sign up to say, I'd be interested to find out what it's like to shepherd a small group of people. That's awesome. A yay God. We need apprentices. We need young, this next, uh, this fall, we're going to start something for young adults and college age kids because we don't really have that right now. We're going to start by providing a first Saturday night service at Webster Hall. 
And we're going to need people to help with that. But in a community where our, the median age is 31, uh, Jesus is calling us to minister to that, that age group. And the life of our church, the future, is based on the younger generations. Val could use some help. Val multitasked between leading worship and leading student ministry, and she just needs somebody who has a heart for young people, a man in particular who could lead young men. You might sign up for that. Children's ministry. I've been telling Julie since I got here, we cannot grow our church if you're on the carpet. Julie needs to be working with leaders, and she needs some help to work with leaders. So I could just name off every one of those. Somebody to manage Sunday morning check-in. Someone to do kids, King's Kids follow-up. Someone to be a teacher. Someone to be a helper. Somebody to work. Uh, to, we have volunteers in VBS, and I think she still needs some of those. And then there are other ministries listed there below. There are a host of things that you might find God using you in. And my challenge to you today, where I believe that God is taking us, what it will require of us is a, a burgeoning lay-led ministry effort. So whatever it is you're doing, I'm not asking you to do more. If you're one of the ones who signed up to, for the, a life group leader, check that thing off and stick with it. We need you there. But if there's another area where you say, well, I can't be there all the time, that's fine. Many hands make light work. So if we have enough people saying to Julie, hey, I commit to help you out, then she can build teams on a rotation and not everybody has to do it all the time. And Maybe this, maybe Julie could sometimes be in the service. She needs that. We are called to reflect the image of God. And this essential is not only about you discovering the abundant life that God has called you to, it's about us becoming the healthy church he intends. So I'm asking you this morning, if you will, to pray about, you can take this card with you, trust me, these cards will be in the foyer next weekend. And if, you'll, if, you, if you already know, if God's already said, this is what I need to do, I'm going to act today, check it off. Leave it with us, and we will, our staff will be following up with everyone about how to get involved in not only serving those who are already here, but in preparing for those who aren't, that God is bringing our way. And all God's people said, amen. amen. So finally, to the seasoned servant, particularly those of you who stayed on the wall, like Nehemiah, with a trowel in one hand and a sword in the other over the last year when times were difficult, to you who have already discovered the secret of the towel and the basin and you've given yourself repeatedly to it, can I just thank you on behalf of Jesus Christ for serving others, for believing that the greatest use of your life is not about consuming it on yourself, but about esteeming other people around you, following the example of Jesus Christ, and participating in his work in the world. I would just encourage you, if that's you, invite somebody else along. Can I ask you to show them the ropes? We need men and women, boys and girls, people who are heavily engaged and involved in God's work if we're going to reach those who are yet outside the family of God. We need you. More importantly, God has created you to reflect who he is in the world around us. Let me pray. Father, thank you for <clears throat> your great love for us. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for how you model for us 
not something other than who you are, but actually the truest nature of who you are, a servant. And then you call us to do the same, giving us a great command that reminds us that uh, we are called to love one another even as you have loved us. I pray, Father, that you would raise up men and women, you, you instruct us to do this, to ask you, the Lord of the harvest, to raise up more laborers for the harvest because the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. And so in Jesus' name, I ask you, Lord, to move in the hearts of your people, that every person here would discover that part of their growth as a Christ follower, part of them becoming who you meant them to be, is to find a place, however simple, however significant, to give their life away in the name of Jesus Christ, led by the Spirit. And those of us who know this path well can assure them that God will always do more in you than you can do uh, for Him or for others. And then, Father, for those who continue to serve, I I just pray, God, that you would re-energize them and refresh them and that you would prepare us all to be the healthy church you intend, reaching our community for the kingdom of God. Place some area on every person's heart today and may the coming weeks and months find them joyfully victoriously serving. May we be a body of people pouring ourselves out in service to one another for your glory and for our joy. In Jesus' name, amen.